Hello, and welcome to the Gangster Museum of America After Dark. And now, the founder and director of the Gangster Museum of America, author and screenwriter, Robert Rains. Thank you, Steve, and we got another good one tonight. Our guest tonight is James Evelyn Young. James Evelyn Young, who we shall refer to from here on as Ev, born and raised in Hot Springs, Arkansas, owned clubs in Hot Springs, Arkansas, kind of was part of, for lack of a better term, the racket here in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And his son, Jimmy Young, is a good friend of mine, owns Young's RV out at Lake Hamilton. So we invited uh, Ev in to talk about the good old days and tell us some fascinating stories. And so welcome, Ev, and we are here in the beautiful fountain room of the Arlington Resort Hotel on Central Avenue, longtime flagship hotel of Hot Springs. Ev, you started working here when you were pretty young, didn't you? I mean, you know this place like the back of your hand. What was your first job here? I was a brush boy. A brush boy, for those of you who aren't familiar with that occupation, was a fellow that went around cleaning the brass rails of the Arlington, the ashtrays, and the brass spittoons that would sit around the lobby back in the day. So not a job wanted by all, and probably nobody'd want it today, but it was a good, uh, it was a good job to have back in those days. My dad was house detective, and he got me a, the job here in the summertime when school was out. What year was that? Uh, 36, I think, 1936. Wow. How old were you? I was 15. Willie Jackson was a chief bellhop. I, I remember him, but I got fired from my brush boy job. Uh, Mr. Chester was a manager here, and, and Miss Flanagan was his personal secretary. He caught me in the black bellhop's dressing room downstairs shooting craps with him, and he fired me. And Miss Flanagan got my job back for me. She was my buddy. Of course, I kept her supplied with coffee and so your dad was house detective for the Arlington at that point in time. Did he ever tell you any stories? There was a lot of people coming and going in there, a lot of famous people, a lot of athletes, a lot of baseball players, a lot of gangsters. Did uh, he ever relate any stories to you? Yeah. One that sticks out was uh, Bugsy Siegel's story the first time. Well, he didn't know. Bugsy then, but uh, hookers couldn't come in here. My dad wouldn't let them, and uh, he was sitting out in the lobby one night, and here come a gal through the front door to the elevators, and he recognized her, and he caught her at the elevator and told her to get out. And she went out, and then she called Siegel, and uh, he come down and he told my dad, said, 
you little son of a bitch, I'll uh, take you up on the 11th floor and throw you off. My dad said, well, you may do that, but said, when we hit the, the sidewalk, you're going to be with me. And they got to be real, real good friends. Uh, when, me, when he'd check out after that, he'd hand my dad four or five hundred dollars and say, take care of the switchboard operator. And, uh, you keep a couple for yourself. <laughs> of course, that was a heck of a heck of a tip in the thirties. Yeah. Well, tips were a big thing. You actually worked at the Hot Springs Country Club as a caddy before you worked at the Arlington. You had a lot of famous folks out there run through there, especially one that I know of. Al Capone. He, when his crew played golf, they, one of his henchmen carried a golf bag. Of course, uh, us caddies didn't know what it was, but we found out later it was a Tommy gun. <laughs> those, some of those fairways were exposed to the streets and everything. I got it from Ralph Capone. That was Al's brother. He gave me, the going rate was a dollar for 18 holes, and he'd give me a $5 bill. Of course, all the caddies wanted him, but uh, my dad knew him up from Arlington. And, I had a little in there. You know, Ev, it's always amazing to me that the people were sitting around in the lobby, like Capone or later on Costello and Luciano, and at the same time, you'd have Hall of Fame baseball players here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your time at the Arlington when, when some of these uh, legendary ball players came to the Spa City. They used to come here and take uh, in early spring for spring training. And, uh, oh, I remember Jimmy Fox. I pitched to him batting practice one day, and he struck out intentionally. And I, I didn't know it then. That was a high point of my life. I struck out Jimmy Fox. But uh, Shanny Hogan, he's a big 400-pound Philadelphia athletic catcher. And he'd come here and melt off a couple hundred pounds in the spring before he'd go. Oh, I'd shag flyers for him up to old Whittington Park. Of course, we call our uh, gift shop here the Hattery, but the Hattery had a couple of, uh, couple of other enterprises going there on Central Avenue next to the Arlington. What, what was your experience, if any, with the Hattery? His Ruby Goldstein's cat house. Oh, the hattery might have been a, a Wheatley hats, but upstairs over the hattery, I guess it was, was, was Ruby Goldstein. She was uh, public enemy number one. Carpus. Carpus, Alvin Carpus, girlfriend. He had, a, he had a room up at the end of Whittington Avenue, uh, Pullman off of Park Avenue and uh, I had a morning paper out and every Saturday morning when I went by to collect, it was 15 cents a week. And whoever come to the door, I didn't know who it was, give me a quarter. That's a big tip, boy, a dime. <laughs> I look forward to that every Saturday. And they come through every Saturday, a tip, a quarter. In fact, Ev, you know, Grace Goldstein 
and Chief of Detectives Dutch Akers and Chief of Police Joe Wakelin all went to prison for harboring Carpus. And it was a fascinating story in the uh, Arkansas Gazette back then. The prosecutor called one of the maids up to testify, one of the maids from the Hattery Hotel, and he kept badgering her about where she worked. And she said, well, I, I worked in a hotel. And the prosecutor said, well, what do they do? Well, they, they come here and they lay down. And he said, do you work in a house of ill repute? She said, no, sir. He said, well, do you work uh, with ladies of the evening? She said, no, sir. He said, well, just where do you work? She said, I works in a hoe house. <laughs> <laughs> and Jimmy actually told me you got called up to be in that trial. I was subpoenaed to be in the Gazette route carrier, Weldon Bronner. He, uh, uh, we were subpoenaed to Little Rock to testify. We never was called up to testify, but we had to go to Little Rock every time court was in session until they settled the case. And they were found guilty and went to prison. Yeah, yeah, for accepting bribes. Well, taking care of the uh, mob when they came down here was kind of a tradition, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. When the boys from Chicago, New York, Cleveland, Detroit, when they'd hit down, well, they'd look uh, them up and close the deal, and they, they never was bothered while they were in Hot Springs. So, as you grew up, got older, you realized how things worked here. Did, did you automatically start booking, or what was the, what was the process that kind of got you into the club business? No, later in life, I had a pool hall and a beer joint later. I had a bingo. Uh, I got a call one Sunday morning, and I'd worked all night at my place. And it was a friend of mine wanting to know if I wanted to bingo party or some change in politics. And back then, any time there's change in politics, there's a lot of changes. <laughs> and he hit me cold, and I said, call me back in about 30 minutes. I mean, talk to my wife. Anyway, it was a, a second cousin of mine had the bingo parlor, and I didn't want to shoot him out of the tub, and uh, I reluctantly, I took it, hoping I could convince my cousin that I didn't go for the job that they gave me. They told me, when I, I asked them to keep him, they said, no, if you don't want it, we'll get somebody else. So that's when I decided I'd, I'd take it. It was upstairs citizens, and the bingo at night was uh, where the bookie was during the afternoon today. And in a side room was a trap table and roulette wheel, slots, and in the back was a bar with slots. They had, uh, had a game called uh, Muscle Craps. That's where nothing but professionals played. The dice rotated around the table one man banked the, banked the games when he got the deal. Well, I met Amarillo Slim there. I didn't know. I didn't know it was Amarillo Slim then, but he 
won the world, I think, first, second poker tournament at uh, Benny Binion's club in uh, the Golden Nugget in Vegas. So when you first started booking horses, where did you get your race results? I mean, there were literally hundreds of bookies here, or bookie joints. My first experience with booking, right there on where the rock wall is and Sella's house is behind it, that's the stretch right out there. Uh, back in the 30s, a lot of people hung on that wire fence. They could see the track. They couldn't see the finish line, but they could see it within 30 yards of the finish line. And that north end of the grandstand had a sun deck with some benches out there. Well, I got a brilliant idea. A dime was like a cartwheel, but I I got me a program and I'd sell five chances for a dime apiece off of a coming race. And I guarantee the winner 50 cents. Well, that was good money, five to one. And it didn't take me long to sell five horses. And if it was a 10 horse field, I had to I had the other five, and if, if it won, I lost 50 cents. I still made uh, 50 cents, and that was, that was my first experience of booking. But after that, I booked it. I was a firefighter at the Army and Navy General Hospital, and I the horses was coming to Oakland, and I asked my fire chief if I could take a few bets from the from the fire crew and the uh, motor pool boy downstairs. He said, "Yeah." I said, "Let me check with Colonel Russo. He was the engineering officer our ball." Said, "Go ahead." Well, it was so easy, I just put the word out a few nurses and doctors. Good night, that opening day, I had more of them nurses and doctors and employees over at that fire station than they had at the hospital. And chief said, God, Jim Young, you gotta quit, you gotta pull up, you gotta pull up. I said, you're gonna get us all put in living work. Well, I said, what if I just booked a Carmen and the guys downstairs. He said, well, we'll try. Well, I did that after that, and I booked them. And then I was a patient over to the VA hospital, and I booked <laughs> Oakland, and I booked nurses and <laughs> doctors over there. I guess only Madden was up and running with the wire service by then. Well... Only had an in with Mr. Marcella down in New Orleans, and he had the wire service in Hot Springs. Didn't wasn't supposed to, but he did. And uh, he gave me wire service for fifty dollars a week, and all the bigger joints paid two hundred a week. And uh, Jimmy Vitro worked for Oni in uh, 
they remodeled this whole black arcade up here. Uh, cocktail lounge downstairs and a plush boogie joint upstairs. Well, politics got involved and uh, they couldn't open it. And I'm getting results one day out at my joint across from Oakland and Jimmy Vitro said, uh, Young Oni wants to talk to you. I said, okay. I waited two or three, four or five minutes and he got back and he said, uh, you'd have to talk to you later. I said, uh, you're busy. And uh, of course, uh, my curiosity, I bugged me for about a month and I saw Vitro. I said, what did he want to talk to me about? He said, he wanted to bankroll you up at the Black Orchid, the bookie joint. He didn't know it, but I didn't want it really, but that was relief. And that's when the McClellan and uh, Keith Offer started the gambling across the state lines and all. Did you have to meet with Oni a lot? Numerous times. He was a real, real, real good friend of Byron's. And uh, that was his hangout. He, he had a private chair across the street to Southern at uh, Byron's office. I had to go in there every morning on a little business and only wanted to talk. And he said there was two factions in. Marin Anderson, Sam's dad had the city and Leonard Ellis, the sheriff, had and his friend had the county. And, uh, Sam had some little old pointed deputy job. He was a lawyer, and he raided uh, one of the joints out in the county and picked up three or four slots. Of course, that was a no-no, but he did, and uh, only told me, we was talking to him in Barnes' office a couple of days later, and he said, yes, and I wanted to put some concrete boots on that little fat son of a bitch, and Dane wouldn't let me. <laughs> You know, it's kind of funny to think about Dane Harris, even though he was kind of the gambling czar here, that he could actually override Oni Madden when it came to putting concrete boots on somebody. But you never had any problems with him. I, I don't think I ever talked to anybody that had any problems with him. It looked like he was a pretty nice guy, especially to be in that position. Yes, he was. Yeah. I, knew, I knew him when we was growing up. He's a couple of years older than me, but... I lived on the same street he did. Well, back then they'd say, yeah, you, you can operate if you give Dane half. Well, that was a bunch of bull. When I got to the bingo parlor, he told me, he said, I need $25 every couple of three weeks to take care of some obligations. I said, sure, that's okay. He never took a penny off of me. I asked him one time, I said, what? I thought you was going to pay me. I, I wanted to pay my part. And he said, uh, well, the big joints are going real good. I said, I'll get it from them. That's my experiences with him, just one out of many. Didn't you have something to do with the Tower Club out on Park Avenue in Gulf of Gorge? Yeah. I was fronting for a politician on the Tower Club deal, and I, I didn't want to, didn't have time, but I couldn't say no to him because he had an elected office. And called me, wanted to know if I'd front for him here. 
I couldn't say no. I said, yeah. Oh, I kept it a year. And back in them days, he booked uh, football and uh, parlay cards. And uh, Costello, he got permission from the doctors in New York. He was, he'd been indicted and he wasn't supposed to leave the state of New York or the city of New York. But he got permission to come here for medical purposes to take the bath. And he lived up at Jack Tars at the end of Park Avenue. And every Friday night, all those football games, college and pros, was played on Saturday and Sunday. And uh, he'd come down citizen uh, to, to Sims and they'd make a little three-team parlay. That was before air conditioning and television and all the pool hall sweats. They hung out on the sidewalk. And uh, when they'd see Mr. Costello and his two henchmen coming, they'd light up and they'd go in and they'd make, a, they'd make their bets on the cards and all them sweats thought they knew something, so they'd bet the same teams. And ain't none of them ever hit. <laughs> Well, Ev, this has been an enlightening evening to be able to talk to somebody who grew up here and had so many experiences. If you had to sum up your life here in Hot Springs in one sentence, what would it be? (laughs) I'm a lucky rascal. Well said, my friend. A special thanks to Jimmy Young, Young's RV Park. And Jimmy also has a book out called Cigar Box Men. And you can uh, just call the Gangster Museum and we'll get you a copy. And uh, an even more special thanks to his dad, James Evelyn Young. We'll see you next week. Take it out, Steve. You've been listening to TGMOA After Dark. Join us again next week.